Welcome to the American Reformer Podcast, promoting a vigorous Christian approach to the cultural challenges of our day and rooted in the rich tradition of Protestant social and political thought. Hosted by Josh Abitoy and Ben Dunson. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to the American Reformer Podcast. This morning, we have uh, our executive director, Josh Abatoy, joining us. And also, we have the privilege of having Tim Klein, who is associate editor at American Reformer. And I am Ben Dunson, the editor-in-chief. Uh, today, we are going to talk about uh, recent going-ons with the Keller Center for Apologetics and, uh, and a recent article of theirs. And, and Josh is going to introduce us to that article this morning. Morning, Ben. Morning, Timon. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us today. So we've got uh, we've got an article to talk about. Um, I'm sure most of you have seen or heard about this by now if you're on Twitter or not under a rock somewhere. Um, last week, uh, the Gospel Coalition ran an article by one of the fellows at the Keller Center. The title of the article was, uh, it was, Sex Won't Save You. Um, but it will point to the one who will. And uh, so sex won't save you, but it points to the one who will. And this was a um, extended, uh, I guess, allegorical art of argument of sorts uh, that was, uh, I guess, talking about, uh, talking about how the human procreative act uh, is an allegory for uh, Christ and his church. Um, it was... Uh, to some degree, uh, cringe and widely criticized for that. Um, but then it was also very widely criticized for, um, from, from progressives for being, um, complementarian, um, conducive to abusive attitudes, uh, allegedly. And all of this, um, culminated in the gospel coalition, deleting the article, um, in the author, Josh Butler, uh, resigning from the Keller Center. It's unclear if he was asked to resign or if he did that on his own volition. And then sort of most egregiously, it resulted in several um, writers and pastors withdrawing endorsements of his book. Uh, and uh, to, to be clear, this this article was an excerpt from the book. Um, so it's not clear that any new information came out about Josh Butler that would have caused someone to reevaluate him. I mean, they, they nearly the book that had been endorsed had an excerpt published on the gospel coalition's website and the backlash from that caused uh, endorsers to withdraw their endorsements. Um, so we want to beat this up today. Uh, we've got time in with us, uh, Timon, it's good to have you here and bring, uh, you know, bring uh, your uh, spicy takes on this as well. Um, <laughs> I think we want to sort of first park on the article itself and, and chat through, you know, what's good in it, what's bad in it, um, and then shift over to analyzing the cancellation and what it means about uh, the Keller Center and the approach that they're seeking to take in our current environment. So with that, um, Ben, Timon, uh, tell me what you thought about the article. Uh, you've both read it. Uh, what, w- what was your reaction? Yeah, probably the same as as, as most people's, at least on one <laughs> level, um, that um, at, at points the language was very unfortunate um, and um, awkward, painful to read. Um, you know, it's 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 
it's weird theologically uh, because he's focusing on so, so much on the the sex act itself as reflective of God's relationship to his his church, but also it is somewhat weird um, in the way that he is is referring to um, to to women, I guess. Um, you know, not um, not that he's simply explaining a husband and a wife, but just um, it's just awkward. <laughs> Time, what, 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 how'd you yeah. take that? Yeah, I I agree, and I agree that it seems to have at least been the initial complaint from everybody reading it on on Twitter before it really blew up, and and the people that really matter complained. But with uh, people in our circles, it was just you know this is kind of cringe the descriptions are a little over the top and a little juvenile. Um, you know, it, it's not that there isn't, you know, some precedent as other people have noted, even Rod Dreher noted, um, for doing this kind of allegorical interpretation and, and inquiry. You know, I think, I think Dreher cited John Christosimo on this and, you know, which is fine. I, I would just say is, general advice is if you're going to say stuff controversial that you know is which is clearly partly you know this is partly meant to be provocative not for its own sake but to make a point then you should probably cite the people that are going to back you up um, in church history that way it's not just josh butler out there um so that you know a little bit of a, a misstep there that maybe could have saved him at least from initial complaints but either way you know his again his language i think is just cringy in the way he tries to do it. I mean, he's, you know, quoting Taylor Swift at the beginning and stuff. I, mean, I don't really know what to do with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, you bring up the point about um, medieval figures and, and early church figures. And I mean, there's there's some precedent for this kind of language. I, I don't know. Maybe one of you two knows um, whether they they would so focus on the sex act itself rather than marriage. I know there's some, some stuff that's pretty out there in the medieval period, um, kind of getting into the sort of erotic, uh, language. Yeah. I generally don't, I haven't spent any time on that kind of literature. It's just not a subject I'm interested yeah. in, I guess, yeah. but yeah, no. it, it did Same. seem, you know, this was the funny thing is you saw this initial, this kind of initial back and forth on Twitter about this is people pointing out exactly what you just did, Ben, of like, it's, you know, overly kind of orgasmic in the way it's uh, in its focus rather than, you know, the marital relationship and uh, the union, the covenant union there being the focus, which would be, you know, so traditional that you probably wouldn't get a book deal if that was your main focus. Everyone's already done that. Um, nor is it like a direct defense of complementarianism. Um, but people were, you know, throwing that back on the critics that were saying this is cringy and they're like, oh, it's because you have a pornographic mind and these sorts of things. And I just thought that was really goofy. I mean, you don't have to, <laughs> to point out that it's cringe is not is not admitting anything bad about yourself. It just self-evidently is. Yeah, um, no, that, that that idea that it was that you just have a pornographic mind. I mean, I don't even want to go back and reread the the, the language, but um it, it's it's not it, it's just awkward. Um, yeah. It, it, it's it's describing the the sex act in in somewhat graphic terms. Um, yeah. But there's no way around that. 
I, I likened it to, I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience, but, you know, with either youth pastors or sort of youth conferences back, you know, a decade or two ago, you know, where there was a you know, passion conferences, whatever. I mean, you would sometimes have some kind of cringe youth pastor or somewhat popular pastor get up there and he's trying to shock, you know, uh, high school students by being overly, you know, explicit to a certain degree, way beyond, you know, what the Apostle Paul is writing. You know, Paul seems to think it's basically sufficient to talk about sexual immorality and you can fill in the gaps. I mean, we all know what's going on. Um, yeah. And so I think scripture is a pretty good guide um, on, well, everything, obviously, but even your your rhetoric on this subject. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and I, th I think with respect to the older writings, I would say two, actually three things. So the, you do have the medieval mystics and they, they write some pretty extreme stuff along these lines. And I think um, I would just feel comfortable saying, yeah, they're, they're cringe too and, and probably off base in a lot of ways. I mean, they had all sorts of theological issues. Um, I, I would love to, I guess, uh, consider this a pitch, but I would love to see an article talking about reformers and their critiques of some of the medieval mysticism because that you know uh, there was some odd stuff in that um but if you go back to the patristics um those guys were you know oftentimes um you know very philosophically erudite and the greeks had this whole conception of uh and, and the early christians did too of the word of the logos being akin to a seed that's planted in the earth, which, you know, the, the physical world, um, you know, and this is a, this is a symbol of the incarnation. It's a symbol of logos coming into, into the physical world and, and creating order and, and, you know, and, and so that's a really rich metaphor. And so, you know, they would elaborate on that with respect to the procreative act, but um, again, their, their emphasis in, in many cases would have been on, procreation, the generative aspect of sex, uh, which was uh, generally, I think, overlooked in Butler's article. I mean, he, he sort of mm -hmm. nods his head to it on, in a couple spaces, but to others' points, it's, it's really, you know, his article, I think, is, is much more about the um, mutual pleasure of the act than about the generative mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. act or the generative possibility intrinsic in the act. And um, actually, uh, I recommend a drop this in the show notes, but, you know, Denny Burke has a really good article um, on this whole situation, but he, he gets into that uh, a, a fair bit um, in, in sort of interacting with, with Butler's article. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so there's some dogs that didn't bark in the article. Um, I, I think, you know, stepping back more broadly and looking at this article as an example of the intellectual project that we often see displayed at the Gospel Coalition or a lot of other mainstream evangelical outlets. I, I wonder, I, I guess oftentimes the question that I'm left with when I read this stuff is, can a thing be good if it's not pointing to the gospel in some express way that can be mapped out, right? Is there room in the thinking of someone like Josh Butler or anyone else for something that's a natural good, um, but isn't, you know, an explicit allegory to the gospel in every single one of its details? Um, what, what do you make of that, Timon? Yeah, I wanted to just real quick before we move on. One, yeah. I forgot we have a medievalist on the call, so uh, he, he should have been consulted first. Um, but the, you know, even in the the section that Dreher cites from, um, I think it's the 12th homily on Colossians. I mean, 
this this may not be exactly a substantive point, but it is, as you said, much more erudite, much more uh, graceful. And so that does matter in terms of your persuasion and rhetoric, I think. But the very beginning, I mean, as we, as we already said, I mean, the focus for uh, St. John is on, uh, you know, he begins by saying marriage is a theater. And so it's the, the focus from the beginning is on the covenant union um, and much less on, you know, these sort of physical aspects. So I think, I mean, even that is not a great defense of, of Josh Butler and even Dreher seems to somewhat recognize that. Um, so I do, I do think that matters, but in terms of the broader, you know, stepping back, um, I mean, I do think this, um, bodes ill goes without saying for the, for like the Keller center, this being their, you know, it's not the only content they have up. I, they clearly already had some ready-made kind of introductory articles from Colin Hansen and stuff that they've put on, but this is their first outward facing, you know, thing to engage the culture. And I, I thought it was funny that the Christianity Today's interview with Colin Hansen when this launched was titled that the Keller Center is for apologists without all the answers, which is just like a really funny <laughs> thing to, to like, oh, lead off with. Yeah. yeah. Why are we um, going to go to you? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think it, we all know there people can make uh, mistakes or are not going to actually have all the answers. But if you're presenting yourself as an authoritative center on, you know, supposedly the greatest apologist of the period, you would, you would lead with something better. But this, this is sort of that sort of like appeal to, uh, I, I think the, the proclivities of the predominant proclivities of the culture, which is certainty, especially for Christians is looked down upon. So they're wanting to move away from that. And, but so it's funny then in the way that they've treated this article, uh, certainly in backing away from it, um, of that, you know, title or that posture, Colin Hansen presented as, as governing the center or, or representing its ethos would seem to be like there's mass intellectual freedom then if you're just kind of playing around and there's no definitive answers. Um, but they came down, I mean, swift and hard on this, which is, is just fascinating, um, especially when you juxtapose it with past things TGC has, has run on their site. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, they, they, um, that's right. They're the, particularly the, the why I hate August article is what comes to mind for me. Um, yeah, yes. Which is still up by the way. And was, you know, this is the article for the listeners that, um, right after Kenosha and all of that, um, compared among other things, Kyle Rittenhouse, who, you know, we all know since exonerated, uh, to Dylan Roof and other terrible things. Um, it got a lot of attention at the time. I remember Carl Truman writing uh, about it at First Things right after, and it was sort of engaged directly on its merits, but TGC either didn't respond or, you know, backed it up, never took it down. Um, and so clearly the wrong people were frustrated with that article. And in this case, the right people were upset. Yeah, yeah. the the, the dynamics that this brings out in in. Who, who they're trying to please and, and who they're trying to be persuasive to are really fascinating in their own right. Um, beyond just the, the objective merits of the article, um, even just the, the, the basic approach to apologetics. I, I didn't actually, I hadn't seen that language of uh, we're, we're the ones um, for those who don't have all the answers. Um, I, that, I find that strange. Very strange. Yes. Very. Uh, it actually bring, brings to mind uh, it's fourth the, the, way the, the opening of Luke's gospel yeah, where he says, um, I've written these things that you may have certainty about the things that have taken place among us. 
That's interesting. Very, very, uh, very different um, language mm -hmm. there for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, you know, we can, we can go ahead and point out like who, who we're talking about in, in terms of who was complaining about the, when, when the complaints really gain traction, because again, you know, this is cringe was kind of being thrown around Twitter for several hours. And it wasn't until people like Beth Allison Barr started tweeting in, in a different way. Her complaints were different. I don't remember her saying, oh, this is cringe. It was, this is dangerous, harmful to women, uh, you know, misogynist or patriarchal language, something like that. And that seems to be when TGC really started having some movement. So it, it indicates, you know, in their, if they're going to be going along with you, just what you just said, Ben, is their entire posture is we're kind of unsure, but we're supposed to be engaging the culture. But it, it seems to me that the, the tail is, at least in this instance, wagging the dog right out the gate. And the broader culture is what's dictating their approach and rhetoric, and they, they lack a significant degree of self-confidence, uh, of, of self yeah. um, which is really a really bad look for this new, you know, again, they're supposed to be shepherding or carrying on the legacy of, of Tim Keller here, who's a big deal. Um, so really bad look for them, but it also in a deeper way for the whole TGC apparatus, you know, shows you what, who they really pay attention to. And I don't think it was the conservative, you know, anon accounts uh, on Twitter, or maybe, you know, maybe Rod Dreher had some, some pull, uh, when they saw that, but it seemed to me, and this could be wrong, but it seemed to me that when certain more, some people I'd never heard of, but when you look at their bios, you know, they are, uh, people very adjacent to Beth Allison Barr. And, uh, that seemed to be what, what made TGC move on this. Yeah. And let's, yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole thing was so weird. Um, it, you think about the process, behind this um you've got this excerpt from a book which obviously has been read by editors um and you've got that excerpt which has been read by editors at the gospel coalition um and i mean they were so over the top in their praise that their their, their editors and the fellows <laughs> and everything you know this is the the what was it the, the protestant magnum opus, magnum opus on <laughs> sexual ethics um yeah. and, and so i'm thinking okay so one one day when it seems like this book is going, this book and this excerpt is going to, is going to win us respect. Um, everyone loves it, and and says things like that. And then the next day, those exact same people are saying, "We made a mistake. This is bad. This is wrong." And so I asked myself the question: Did they even read the book? I mean, that's one explanation, I guess, that they they didn't even read it. They didn't even know what mm -hmm. was in it. But that seems somewhat unlikely. I mean, did they just think it was going to be so, so well received that it didn't even matter if they read it? They just knew it's going to be amazing. Um, or the alternative explanation is they did read it. They loved it. And then uh, after everyone comes at it, the Beth Allison bars come at it. Well, now they hate it. But what happened? What happened to, to make that change, that transition between this is a, the Protestant magnum opus to... Uh, we really messed up and this is bad and horrible. Yeah. And two, two endorsers, um, just to, uh, two, two endorsers in particular just pulled their endorsements of the book entirely, right? They were going to be on the cover of the yeah. book as endorsers and they've, they've pulled it. Um, now is one of those, the ones that, so, so Stephen Peter wrote an article for, for us for American yeah. reformer on this, mm -hmm. which is really good. I recommend that you, you read it. And was that, one of those that he was um, quoting? 
that pulled their I yeah. think he did quote one yeah, yeah. Rick, okay Rick yeah who was saying it. almost yeah. the exact same things in their own work yep yep exactly. yeah yeah <laughs> right well the yeah i mean i think it was brett mccracken that, that called it the magnum opus i mean it, it, he's clearly never read a magnum opus of anything in his life um but it's very similar to you know in the that book i can't remember the author but it was endorsed by keller type people in the bit of biblical critical theory um, which I, I have not read, but one of the endorsers, it may have been Van Hooser actually said, you know, this was the new city of God. So I don't know if this is just a trend where you say, maybe it's, we should have an esoteric reading on this. If, if they're saying huh. objectively ridiculous stuff, it actually is a signal that there's something really wrong with it. And they're trying to tell us, but huh. it's, it's <laughs> just this weird new trend with Keller, Keller adjacent or Keller circle type people getting these over the top endorsements. And maybe they, they shouldn't do that, especially if they haven't read it or if they're not quite sure how it's going to play and their endorsement is dependent on its reception in this way. I mean, that's something I've seen. Uh, I remember Carl Truman talking about this a long, long time ago. Um, the, the, the trend towards extremely hyperbolic endorsements in books uh, just across the spectrum mm. seems to be kind of the, the norm these days. Um, but of course that does put you in a, a dangerous position when you are hoping to be, you know, the guide for the, for, for Christians, evangelical Christians to how to navigate the culture. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, I know it's a, a well-known thing that people basically are, are oftentimes endorse books um, either because a publisher who they share asked them to, or it's a friend or it's in within their field. And, you know, even if they don't, read it thoroughly, they kind of skim it or, or what I, I realize this is a thing. It just seems yeah. like in this case, if it, if you're like you're, you were pointing out, Ben, this hot, cold oscillation would, even if you had just skimmed it or skimmed whatever the, the one guy that has, was cited in the American Reformer article said, maybe you read 25% of it or something. I mean, I, my understanding is this excerpt, which was what offended everybody is from the first chapter. Yeah, so, well, and surely they read the excerpt, right? I mean, surely right. they read that carefully enough to know whether they did or didn't agree with it, whether it was amazing or horrible prior to publishing that, right? I mean, I mean, there's, I guess there's two, there's two, there's two ways to take that. Either they don't know enough about the things they're publishing, which is not exactly a, a, a big grounds <laughs> of confidence, or, um, <laughs> Or, or the alternative is uh, they they do know and then they just abandon their their guy uh, when he gets flack. Yeah, and let's just let's park on the very specific grounds for cancellation. I mean, it you know it's uh, it's misogynistic. Why? Um, I, I suppose because there's a head nod to complementarian roles between men and women in in the sex act. I mean, this is a very the article itself, I mean, obviously we haven't read the book, but from my read of the article itself is that this is a fairly sort of skinny brand of complementarianism, right? This is not theology of the body or something like this. You know, it, um, yeah. this is, uh, you know, this is uh, basically focusing on on the procreative act primarily for its the reciprocal pleasure uh, that comes from it. And you know, even just a, a head nod in the article, frankly, to complementarian roles in the act um, was mm -hmm. was enough to, you know, earn all of this ire. I mean, it's it's too what is it too heteronormative? I mean, 
you know, like if 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 TGC, I mean, if if the if they will cave to that sort of critique, um, you know, how are they going to be an effective uh, an effective witness for you know what we actually believe to be the case that you know God has created human nature with human beings with you know a nature. Um, that nature is distinct as between men and women, um, and that that reflects in, in various aspects of human society. Like what what you know, this is this is sort of really some of the skinniest complementarianism you can find uh, in this piece. Yeah, if they don't like that, they're really not going to like uh, the idea that God made men and women fundamentally different, and that that is a reflection of who he is and that that impacts everything from society to the family um, to marriage. Uh, right. They're, they're going to really have a hard time with that. Yeah. Um, you know, someone, I think it was, I think well, I forget who it is, but someone had, had told me that Tim Keller's book on marriage um, doesn't, have any material on children. Uh, hmm. I, I found that interesting. Um, Especially for a Presbyterian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and and you just wonder if that's something to do with kind of the context he's in, where the only thing people are really kind of interested in is marriage in terms of mm -hmm. husband and wife and how they kind of complete each other or something like that, which is kind of what this this article seemed to be doing, if you want to even call that complementarian, um, rather than a fully orbed view of, of the family. And that would have to include children as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. I think there was, so in, in Butler's article, I think having children was only mentioned in literally the very last line. I'd have to double check. Um, and of course like, it's in a book. It, it's but, an excert, right? Like it's, yeah. it is, um, but even if you're doing an excerpt, you want it to be, you know, representative kind of. A, but anyway, that yeah, that is that is an interesting point, especially for the the demographic that we all know, the the Keller apologetic or, or approach um, is is generally targeting, right? Which is which is city people, uh, cosmopolitans, these sorts of things. Um, so that is an interesting point. I have not read Keller's book on marriage. I make a point of not reading Keller books, but. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, this, evangelicals really struggle with this in general, yeah. uh, with, with, with the idea of, of nature and, and, mm -hmm. um, natural limits and, and, um, the, like Josh was saying earlier, the, the, the natural good of, of, of various things, like the natural good of being a man versus also, I mean, the, the, the natural good of being a woman, those are two fundamentally different goods. Um, but they are, they're natural goods. And uh, evangelicals have had a hard time um, get, getting past this idea that that man and woman is just almost this kind of arbitrary fiat from God. Mm -hmm. um, God, he says in the Bible that, that the man should be the head of the household. He says that the man only can be a pastor. But I guess if God wanted to, he could have actually made it the opposite. Um, right. and, um, they don't really, they don't really see anything intrinsic to nature about that. Yeah. So it's, so it's a fundamental voluntarist, um, impulse just in terms of the, the way you're approaching nature, natural law of 
it could, you know, up could have been down if, if God wanted it to be. Um, and there's a sense, of course, in which, which some of, there's something true about that. I mean, Augustine talks about at length, whether God, you know, uh, had to create the world this way or these sorts of things. But now that, you know, given prior, uh, determinations by God, does that say anything about the nature of what, what we can witness, what is produced? And I agree with you that evangelicals are pretty bad at, at investigating those aspects, which is uh, probably goes hand in hand with their, uh, on the ethical side, their, their uh, departure from natural law generally, because it's, it's all these sorts of questions wrapped up in it. Well, um, so they're probably it, just put it very simply, you know, to put it as simply as possible, we should start from the um, beginning supposition that God's rules make sense, make rational sense in relation to the way that he's woven the fabric of reality together. Right. And, yeah. you know, they make, they make sense. And so they're, they're good for us as creatures. When you sit down and you think about God's moral law and you understand its specific demands, they actually, they make sense. They result in human flourishing um, because you know, that's how the, the, they are the ends to which like we've been teleologically prepared. So, you know, up is up is up in this world. And that's a hardwired aspect of creation. Um, and so, you know, the, the what we see in scripture with, you know, express uh, commands are sort of like, you know, the tip of the iceberg. They're 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 um, expressed rules that that are floating above the water and underneath is this great you know deep natural understanding of, of human nature that um really most societies have shared in some way or another um you know uh until you know it, uh, modern society obviously is is rebelling against nature entirely um but uh, and I, I think there's i think there's a fair bit of um you know i think that a little bit of the tie-in here with the postmodern person is, you know, the postmodern person is a person who does not want to have any sort of uh, givenness, um, any sort of um, loss of autonomy uh, by virtue of being placed into a particular body or in a particular point in history. We, we think that to be human means to transcend the natural conditions into which we're placed. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think, I think a lot of that is actually uh, unknowingly kind of crept into evangelical ethics. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think also just with, with marriage generally, I mean, we're not Roman Catholics, so we don't have the same sacramental uh, approach to it, but it should be recognized, you know, even, even though we're not going to um, say that the people who remains, you know, single are in sin or something like that. I mean, the apostle Paul certainly doesn't, um, it should be recognized that there is, as kind of going off what you're saying, Josh, I mean, this, this is a natural end of, of human beings is to, is to be, I mean, this is, it's not good that man is alone, right? So to be both social um, is, is to be social and in community is natural to him. And that begins with the family and the end of the, of the marriage is the, is procreation. I mean, this used to be a very traditional view. Um, so I think it, it, like, it doesn't, it's not that you're not a man or not a woman when you're when you're single prior to being in marriage, but it is a further you know perfection of of your nature because this is what you're made to do. Yeah, and and, and with <laughs> bringing it back to Josh Butler, I mean, um, he he's mostly being canceled for 
the 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 awkward way in which he's trying to indicate some sort of difference between men and women mm-hmm. which is the man gives the woman receives and he does say that in a really weird way um but like if if he's if he has the whole world crashing down on his head for saying that I mean, can you imagine mm. what they would say if we tried to articulate this fully orbed view of of men and women and and, and human nature um, yeah and they just they just caved on that or or doing the wrong kind of resourcement i mean it, someone pointed out on twitter of like if they're bothered by it, you know if the standard is whatever chrysostom says i mean get ready for the resourcement on that front they say lots of stuff the modern person is not going to like yeah for sure you know guys one thing that this really raises in my mind is like which urban audience is the keller center trying to reach um because it's kind of i see an opportunity with our society right now there is very widespread dissatisfaction with modern dating i mean the the effects of apps like tinder on professionals just been catastrophic i mean um you know it's not good for men or women um and I mean, actually, there's a lot of, I think, in some ways, more willingness to reevaluate what modern society has said about the relationship between the sexes and kind of, um, you know, uh, there's just widespread unhappiness. And, you know, this is a little bit of, I I think, lack of imagination in in some ways, like not not getting a bold uh, sort of countercultural message out there that might actually be surprisingly resonant with a lot of people given their mm-hmm. recent uh, trauma from from the sort of the post-sexual revolution dating scene. Um, and then, you know, I think it's, it's uh, yeah, it's just, it's curious. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's actually a really good point as far as, um, I mean, it even kind of directs us in a more positive direction. Um, the Keller Center, if they're going to be leading on on issues of sexuality and family and things like that, what a what a great opportunity to to do that. Uh, to, to I mean, like to your point, so many people feel this, and it's inevitable. When you fight against nature, nature wins. Um, when you fight fight against the divine ordering of the universe, it always will kick you, and uh, and it's going to win. And so people are going to be miserable when they fight against that. And what a, what a great chance to show the goodness of the natural order that God has created and how that could actually be a means of rescuing people from this misery that, that they self-inflicted, but um, that they're living in. Uh, instead of just giving them kind of a, a warmed over, uh, here's more of what the world's already telling you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, men and women are equal in every possible way and, uh, and so on. Well, and the, the, the opportunity, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I see these groups a little bit more, but I know a lot of really smart, um, non-Christian guys, you know, in high-end professional jobs in cities who are like attracted to the kind of some of the fringes of the new right, um, partly because of this point, you know, um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, I mean, so frankly, like, you know, neo-paganism, um, you know, mm-hmm. neo-Nietzschean, uh, views and, uh, the, 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 the acceptance of those viewpoints among like 
young urban men in particular is actually it's pretty surprising and it's 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 a lot larger than people think i mean people don't talk about it publicly much but you know a lot of the suits on twitter that post extreme things i mean oftentimes they're um high-end white-collar professionals who are in cities um and Mm -hmm. i i think partly like they're going over to more radical ideologies partly because they're not getting a compelling uh you know the, the church is not presenting a compelling alternative to what mainstream society has on offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's something that I've thought about recently is, is the, uh, you know, the, so let's just, let's just jump to what Josh was saying of these, these certain ideas on the new right are circulating. And if you kind of pay attention, you can see them. Some of it's, you know, intentionally ironic and people have developing online personalities and it's kind of weird but some of it is actually you know trickled down into their their lives and that they are actually considering these things and reading deeply and everything and and not all of it's bad but it strikes me that especially for young men the church is doing a particularly bad job at providing a christian community of especially other men around these these young men and maybe they just don't exist in their locales because they're most of them are in cities um but where you can you know you're allowed to discuss and think about and process some of these alternatives and also look to our own tradition to find um adjacent but better you know alternatives of traditional ways of thinking and traditional uh types of of lifestyle especially family life that are, are more than a larp and um, also not neo-pagan. Um, and the church just seems to be uh, allergic to some of these considerations right now. At least that's my perception. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying, I mean, you've got these people saying, oh, it's good to, to be in touch with nature. It's good to be strong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's all these things. If you, if you go to Nietzsche, um, uh, let's live according to, to nature instead of all these false pieties. Um, he just has he has a fundamentally flawed understanding of, of what nature is at mm-hmm. points but you can see why that would be attractive to people mm-hmm. um you've got all these people telling them these men to not be men and they they're fed up with that so they hear someone saying just live according to your masculine nature mm-hmm. and uh and they think oh yeah that that has to be better yeah um, even though it brings baggage with it um because there's also a flawed understanding of nature interspersed yeah. in that as well. Yeah. When it, it strikes me too, that the, you know, going, Josh was talking about like the dating app culture, which I've been married like 10 years. So I don't even, I don't even know if it was around when I was, but it's certainly a thing now. And I have friends that are about my age that, you know, are kind of live in that world. And it seems just immensely depressing and uh, emasculating. I mean, I think there's even one app that, you know, the whole point of it, I don't know the name of it is to put, put the woman, you know, in the driver's seat in terms of the pursuit of she's got all the the power to accept dates or, or not, whatever. But, but something that's interesting to me about even that approach to dating is, is it's, it's much more like the kind of postmodern concept of the hyper real, right? The hyper reality of it's, it's not that you're ditching reality. It's just reality is almost becoming a caricature of itself. So it's interesting that to throw off the patriarchy and traditional ways of, um, you know, people getting into marriages and dating relationships, you, you actually just 
refacilitate it in a stranger way. And it's a way that that everyone knows something's wrong with it, but you're still kind of doing the thing or that's really what people desire. They just have an insufficient means to get to it, but it's all that's on offer. Yeah. Well, there's, um, there's probably a lot more we could say about all of that. Um, you guys have any uh, last thoughts on the uh, the article or all the the controversy about this? No, I, I think I'd wrap up my thoughts with with this. You know, with my comments on the new right. I mean, I, and I recently wrote an article that was sort of getting along these lines, an American reformer. But um, pe- people who are dissatisfied with the status quo are feeling a call to return to the Bronze Age, right? And uh, to, to paganism. And I think that we can remember that Christianity defeated paganism. Um, it answered, um, you know, a return to mere nature and a misunderstanding of nature um, is attractive to a society that's trying to obscure it entirely. Um, but we, we can have the confidence that, that, you know, Christianity beat paganism. We can call people to the to the Iron Age, the age of Christians' ascendancy, um, and uh, mm-hmm. and hopefully, uh, you know, I think through our through our public witness, um, you know, attract people to to something better than than the the siren call of, of paganism. Yeah, well, that sounds like a, a good note to end on to me. Um, just to remind everyone who's listening, uh, go to American Reformer and um, and check out this article by Stephen Peter on uh, the, the uh, gospel cancellation. That was the title. And, um, and until next time, we will uh, see you guys later. Thank you, gentlemen. See you guys. Thank you for listening to the American Reformer podcast. Make sure to visit us online at AmericanReformer.org. That's AmericanReformer.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at AMReformer.